Today on Ag News Daily. I haven't been uh, closely involved in that. I do have some neighbors to the north of me that are dealing with it. And this is the uh, the last round we went through with the severe dry. They wrestled with it then too. And so there's, there's a lot of work going on. Good afternoon and happy Friday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I did say that correctly. It is Friday. I'm excited for the weekend. Do you have any fun weekend plans? I don't have a whole lot going on, to be honest with you, Ashton. I'm okay with that. I've been traveling a lot lately. I just need a little R&R time. You have really been traveling. I guess I haven't really realized how much you have been traveling but compared to you know what we've been doing for the past year and a half almost really two years here we haven't been traveling a whole lot and you've just really been out and about in the world so I definitely think you do need some R&R. Yeah that's true I suppose I didn't think about it in that instance too I'm just out of practice from traveling Ashton. I know, I know. And I did traveling earlier this summer and it felt super weird. So I definitely understand, you know, if you're a little too tired or something, you just want to relax. I think that that's what I'm going to do this weekend is just relax after kind of a stressful week, getting back into the routine of school and, you know, combining that with work and all that fun stuff. So I think we're both just going to have a nice relaxing weekend. And that sounds like a great one. I don't know if it's going to be super hot where you're at, but I think it's supposed to be pretty uh, pretty toasty here. It's about mm, just shy of 100 degrees today. Well, I think in Lubbock for the weekend, it's supposed to be in the low to mid 90s. So I won't complain, even though that's still, you know, a little bit up there. Definitely nothing, I think, compared to what you're going to be seeing in Iowa this weekend, Delaney. But I'm going to go ahead and kick things off with some news down from New Mexico. This is a little controversial, and I've seen people talking about it on social media, that the New Mexico Youth Livestock Expo is going to be relocating to Roswell over the Governor Michelle Luan Grissom's state fair vaccination mandate. So from what I have heard, the governor had set this vaccination mandate that everyone, including youth, had to prove their vaccination if they were going to the state fair. And because of this, the expo is being changed from Albuquerque to Roswell. And the dates are even being changed. I think it was supposed to start September 9th, but now it's going to be September 14th through the 17th. And I'm guessing that Roswell has different mandates than Albuquerque does, which is where the state fair is normally held in New Mexico. Um, But I thought this was pretty interesting because I don't think up until a few days ago, I want to say that, um, you know, kids, I think younger than 16 um, were even able or eligible to get vaccinated. And this vaccination mandate was just put into place Um, last week, I believe, late last week. And so even if people were to try to get these vaccines, if they wanted to before the state fair, I don't think that they would even have enough time to get vaccinated because for the first time you get vaccinated, I think there's a two, there's a two week period that you have to go to until you get your second vaccine. So um, quite controversial, I would say here, Delaney. Yeah, it sounds like that. And I think it's going to be a continued point of controversy as we see other organizations and groups trying to implement things like this, for sure. 
Yeah, I thought it was really, I mean, I say really interesting, but coming from New Mexico, I'm not super surprised because they've been, um, you know, pretty intense in taking COVID-19 mandates and restrictions pretty seriously since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm not shocked. However, I'm surprised that they took it to this level. Yeah, I agree, Ashton. So I want to switch back here just a little bit. Looking at wheat exports, today we saw the Russian government, well, excuse me, a private group within Russia, Soviet Econ, sees lower exports for Russia and actually the lowest that we've seen in four years coming out of the country. They are anticipating that for the 21-22 season, wheat exports are supposed to be at 33.9 million tons, down about 3.2 million tons from their prior estimate, which would be, as I mentioned, they're the lowest export volume since 2016, 2017. And, you know, I think there's two pieces to this you got to keep in mind. One, Russia's done this before. They often, you know, threaten, that's not the right way, but they often disclose that they're going to lower exports. And that doesn't always necessarily happen. But if they do actually follow through on this, that should be pretty supportive for the wheat markets overall because we're already seeing, or we've already seen quite a bit of excitement in pretty much all of the wheat contracts, spring wheat in particular. And this should add to some of that bullish sentiment that's going on there right now in the marketplace. So definitely something to keep an eye on, Ashton, but uh, yet to be seen whether or not Russia will follow through on this announcement. Well, Delaney, I still wanted to talk about COVID-19 here. I feel like I haven't shared a whole lot of consecutive news stories about COVID in quite some time, but I have another one here. And the U.S. has reported the world's first deer with COVID-19. Yes, you heard that right, a deer. The U.S. government said earlier today that it had confirmed the first cases of COVID-19 in deer, expanding the list of animals known to have tested positive for COVID-19. The USDA reported infections of the COVID-19 virus in wild white-tailed deer in the state of Ohio. There were no reports of deer showing symptoms of infection or anything of that nature, but I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, we've already seen dogs, cats, tigers, lions, snow leopards, otters, gorillas, and minks being able to, you know, host COVID-19. And now we're adding deer to that list. So I uh, think it's pretty interesting that these animals are testing positive. I don't know how they found out that these wild white-tailed deer have the disease, but um, yeah, just a little tidbit of information there for you, Delaney. And Ashley, do we know if these, is this the same strain of COVID-19 that people actually have, or is it a different strain that's only um, effective towards animals? I think that it's the same one that we're seeing because it's the SARS-CoV-2 um, variant or, or strain, I should say. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's still the same one that we're seeing in humans as well. Okay, interesting. I didn't know we could have a cross-species uh, strain like that. I thought it was pretty different from what impacted animals versus people. So, yeah, I, I think that it's interesting as well. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I feel that that's when we saw a lot of these animals testing positive for the same strain or at least for COVID-19. And we haven't in, in quite some time. So I'm wondering if, you know, a lot of other animals have gotten it. I, I don't know. I, it kind of boggles my mind, Delaney. Yeah, a little bit. 
a little bit indeed. Uh, one thing that boggles my mind, Ashton, is that CONAB, Brazil's private estimate firm, put out their updated outlook for the 21-22 crop outlook, and they're putting out a record grain harvest coming in for the 21-22 crop year with a bean crop about 3.9% higher from last year at 141 million tons. Now, the reason I say this is surprising to me, shocking to me, is because we've seen a lot of areas in Brazil experiencing some severe drought. We talked about that related to the Safrina corn crop. Coupled that with what I've been chatting with Eric Snodgrass about with South America still kind of being in a drier, hotter pattern, I find this news very surprising because from what I've read so far up until today, really, I guess I was expecting to see uh, soybean production cut for the country. But Conab says, nope, we're coming in. We're going to be higher this year, not record uh, levels by any means. But up 3.9%. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on here as we head into harvest season, because that could definitely uh, make an impact on just how much of a post-harvest rally we see, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news to talk about here, and it is concerning some legislation, maybe not so new legislation, but rather something that's being reintroduced. So this piece of legislation has been introduced in Congress that would require more use of low-carbon, high-octane fuels like ethanol, of course, and biodiesel. Congresswoman Sherry Bustos of Illinois reintroduced the Next Generation Fuels Act yesterday, and it didn't get much traction in Congress last year. So it's kind of up in the air on what we might see since this is being reintroduced. Busto says that her bill would bring an environmental lens to biofuels production to increase demand while helping the climate. This piece of legislation is being praised by biofuels groups, corn growers, farmers union, and equipment manufacturers. And lawmakers from several Midwestern states have already signed on to the bill. Original co-sponsors of the bill are Representative Emanuel Cleaver, Representative Jason Smith, Cindy Axney, James Comer, and Darren LaHood. So we've already seen some co-sponsors, already seeing, you know, praise in the industry. But like I said, this didn't get much traction in Congress last year. So we're going to have to keep an eye out on this and see what's being said. Well, Ash, I want to wrap things up here with a piece of weather-related news, which I guess can kind of tie into policy because we might need to see some policy put in place for a relief package, assuming this story comes to fruition, and that is Hurricane Ida that is going on right now in kind of the Gulf Coast area. Um, and so basically this hurricane is going to follow up past the, the southwestern side of Cuba and could extend all the way into the Texas Oklahoma panhandle by as early as about Sunday morning. And we don't know yet whether this is a threat because of course it could fizzle out before it touches land. However, it is threatening to become a major hurricane that could have flooding and wind damages for that stretch of area, which is, of course, key cotton country. I think, Ashley, maybe you mentioned on the podcast yesterday that, uh, maybe a couple days ago now, that the cotton crop is looking pretty good. And according to the USDA's math data, there's about 71% of the country that is in good to excellent rating. 
However, if we do see Hurricane Ida touch U.S. shores, that certainly could change some things. So we're going to keep that in our rear view mirror here as we head into the weekend. Hopefully, folks, if you are in that area of the storm's path, you're buttoning down the hatches because it sounds like it could be a nasty one if it makes the landfall here. You know, Delaney, I saw on social media that some people were having to evacuate already because of Hurricane Ida. Mm-hmm. And I actually have some friends that live down around the New Orleans area in Louisiana, and they're not evacuating, but they are seeing some intense rain already. So I think they're going to be hit pretty hard, which is unfortunate. So hopefully, you know, those folks down there, they do stay safe and hopefully they don't get too hit too hard, but I am all out of things to talk about for today, Delaney, except for the markets, of course. Absolutely, Ashton. Heading into the markets for today, I wanted to make mention here, we had two pretty large export sales, one headed to Colombia and one headed to China. In total, about just shy of 300,000 metric tons of soybeans. And uh, that didn't do a whole lot today to support the markets, but it's definitely a good chip in the demand story overall. But kicking things off here in the corn market today, the December contract up three cents to close at five fifty-three and three quarters. November soybean contract down three to close at thirteen twenty-three and a quarter. Chicago wheat lower today as well. The December contract down six and three quarters cents today to close at seven thirty-two and a half. And hopping over into the livestock markets today. We had some mixed trade across the proteins as the October live cattle contract down 47 and a half cents to close at 129.12.5. The DEEF down 30 cents to close at 135.32 and a half. However, in Peter Cattle today, we saw strength as the October contract added 15 cents to close at 168.42 and a half. The November up 30 cents to close at 169.95. And in Lean Hogs today, we saw some green. The October contract adding two dollars eighty two and a half cents to close at ninety seventy two and a half. The D up a dollar sixty five to close at eighty three oh five and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. October down thirty six cents today to close at sixteen fifty four. And Ashton, that should do it for today's market. Tell us who we're talking to for today's Friday episode. Well, Delaney, we are going to be featuring some more audio from Farm Journal's seminar talking about the impact of this year's drought. This is this is dairy cow slaughter. And the interesting thing is we're about even now, but we came into the year and with the exception of that one week where it jumped up, dairy cow slaughter stayed relatively low and uh you know, milk prices kind of went up and down, but but generally speaking, guys were you know still you know stayed re- relatively you know optimistic about milk prices and didn't want to reduce the herd. I mean, it's like dairymen say, if I'm not milking cows, I don't get a milk check. So, uh, so now you can see now we've moved over in the last two or three weeks as we went into July. We've, that dairy cow slaughter is now bumping up where it was in 2019. Next slide, please. You can see where the percentage, you know, generally we'll, we'll run anywhere but roughly between 45 and 50% of the, of the overall slaughter will be made up of dairy cows. Dairy cows are roughly about a third of our, you know, or about, a, excuse me, about a fourth of our total, total cow inventory in the country. It's been down and now it's starting to pick up. Next slide. 
So I've got this year, we'll end up with cow slaughter up about 4%. I think the significant thing is you can see since 2015, when we started, you know, holding back, starting to rebuild the herd with those record high prices. And, and as we came up into 2016, 17, and, you know, it stayed relatively low. And then it started jumping up in 2018 and 19, 20. A lot of that, I think, was driven not only, not only by the somewhat part, probably by the age of the cows, but at the same time, you know, it was returns because the two drivers of the, of, of the cattle inventory are forage and, and, uh, you know, whether a cow calf guy is making any money doing what he's doing. And if it gets, we've got the double whammy this year. Like Jason said, we've not only our costs have gone up and the total, total revenue has gone down to the, to the ranch. And now we put a drought on top of it. So I've got, I'm projecting cow slaughter to end up the year up 4% total cow slaughter. And then next year I've got it, I've got it down, but I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about next year, given the situation of what's, what's happened this year in this herd liquidation. Next slide. The other, the other part of this whole inventory picture too, is on the, on the female side is the, the cattle is the, is the heifer. So our heifer slaughter through the end of, through the end, uh, nearly the end of July was, is up 8% from a year ago. And that is the highest heifer slaughter we've had also since 2011. So this is serious business. We are liquidating this cattle herd in this country and, and taking it down. I think the other part of this, these are weights on just heifer, heifer carcass weights year to date. And we finally pulled these weights down enough on these heifers on a weekly basis that now our year to date number is equal to a year ago, which was record. So we are coming down, but those weights are still, you know, relatively high when you're equal to the, to the, uh, to the record. Next slide, please. Our steer slaughter is up 8% year to date. And part of that is obviously because of the such as such a sharp drop in, in slaughter last year on the you know steers because everything got kind of out of whack with the with the plant closures last year, last spring. And then we had that backlog of cattle and then you know the middle middle of July. We were just starting to work through that backlog. We were not anywhere close to being through it. So obviously our our steer slaughter's up eight percent. I think we're on the front end of these I think the front end is on these on feed numbers is starting to, you know, we're starting to work through them pretty well. And so these numbers, the, the steer slaughter, as we get into the fourth quarter, will start to, to fall off then. Again, it's just as with the heifers, you can see the weights. We're still two pounds above a year, that record of a year ago, but they're also starting to come down. They have come up on a week over week basis the last couple of weeks, but we're still a year to date. We're, we're, just only only two pounds above a year ago. Next slide, please. This is this is the the other part of this picture of, of liquidation. Aside from this, so we've laid the drought on top of this, and what this is, I've I decided this is a better this is a better way to show returns to cow calf rather than showing my projection. I'm just showing where we come off that record in 2014, which was about, you know, roughly about $500 a head was the return to these cow-calf guys for, and, 
so what I've done is I've just, you know, based on my estimates of, of, uh, of returns, I've just shown the, the, the change in return every year since then. And you can see it's been down 70 to 80% every year since, you know, with the exception of 2015, which was also a relatively good year. But, you know, from 2016 on, we've been down anywhere from, you know, 70 to 80% on our returns. So I had it at about $103 this year. And, and I think if guys were, you know, selling in the, been selling in some of these videos this week and the, and the one in Reno, that may be, that may be achievable. But I'm not, I'm not sure if it's achievable if you've been in the middle of this wreck with this drought with and facing low prices, but that's about, that's about where we are. I've, I've up my, my, uh, my number on cost. I've, I'm running at about, running it at about $705, roughly seven to $725 a head to run a cow. And that's only cash costs. That does not include any, any debt against the ranch or those cows. So it's getting more costly. It's if you're, you know, if you're feeding hay now, it's like Jason said, you're, that's just added cost. And then aside from that, having marketings, you know, marketing cattle, you know, in a, in a rush to try and, you know, get them off the range where you don't have feed anymore. So that's kind of the situation. I've got a, again, as I say, I'm, I'm quite a bit more optimistic about, about next year. Next slide. So given all that, my projection for the cattle inventory at the beginning of, uh, this next year is to be down 2%. So it'd be just under, under 92 million. And that's a, that's really a, you know, a pretty good drop from, you know, given, you know, I, I've reduced that number from where I was at the beginning of the year before we got into this severe drought. So that, that's changeable. We may get into October and I may lower that number even further. Next slide. This just rep, this slide just represents the weights and, and these carcass weights. It's not just about numbers, but it's about the weights on these cattle. And we hit that record, these record weights on these carcasses last year. Weight times, or number of head times weight equals production. And so between that, between the weather impact, that winter, severe winter weather and these high grain prices that we've had, that has helped to bring these weights down on these cattle. We certainly don't need to be looking at, you know, 16 to 1700 pound steers week in and week out. And, and we've started to pull that down. So, so year to date, we're up, a, we're up a pound over a year ago on a few, and if you combine the steer and heifer weights, I do that in a, a little formula I've used to do that. And so we're up one pound 2020, we were up 26 pounds for all the night to 2020, we were up 26 pounds over the prior year. So we came into, as you can see, with these record heavy weights well over a year ago. Next slide, please. Corn prices, as I said, these grain price cost to gain is is significant in the feedlot, as, as we all know. And, uh, you know, bumping anywhere from, I've heard numbers, you know, as high as a dollar, you know, 130. And it's, and so we've got... But our, our corn prices on a cash basis now are hovering around this just, just over $6. And, uh, and when you put that into that, into that steer in the feedlot, particularly if you're going to, and then feeding these lighter weight calves, 
you have your efficiencies down there, but you certainly, because these cattle get bigger, you're going to, the cost of gain only goes up. Next slide. Is there not, is that the last one, Lindsay? I think it is. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my take on it. It's not, not doom and gloom about the situation, but the reality is that costs have gone up significantly and forage, forage supplies in the Western United States has gone down significantly. And, and that's where we sit today as we go towards next year. But if we reduce the numbers enough, and I think we'll end up with this year's calf crop, I, I think it'll be down about 1% from the 2020 calf crop. And so going into the next year with, with, you know, fewer numbers and keep these weights down, and assuming demand holds steady, we the outlook is for you know you know pretty good, you know, pretty good year next year on prices. Thanks, John. I'm I'm going to remind everyone if you have a question to uh, um, check the box at the bottom of your screen and and send it in to us. And the first question I have is for Niels, and I want to go back to your um, you're the the current president of the Public Lands Council. And uh, I want you to give us, uh, if you can, uh, how this drought is going to impact maybe uh, the political uh, climate for public lands ranchers and, and how regulations may change or um, impact you from what you're doing and how the PLC is operating now. Well, we. Uh, um, we are uh, staying in constant contact with the the uh, uh, legislate, legislative side and the uh, agencies in, in D.C. and we monitor our through our state affiliates what's going on back at the state level constantly to find out found out <coughs> excuse me <coughs> find out if uh, any changes are coming down the the road that we haven't heard about. <coughs> We know that we're going to be seeing some changes. The administration proposed their uh, 3030 initiative, the uh, Save, Save America or whatever the, whatever the second name was. Uh, we're waiting to see what that's going to turn out to be. We don't know yet. There's, there's a lot of concern about it, but right now it's all speculation. We're, uh, you know, we're just working our way along. Uh, we're certainly urging all our people on the federal lands to stay in close contact with their agency personnel to uh, communicate constantly and uh, uh, do as much on the ground together as they can so that uh, when there's uh, time comes to be making some plans for next year, and, and many of us are already working on that now, uh, they, uh, they're working together and so that we don't get into these these fights and, and things that, you know, we really hurt everybody and uh, doesn't do the land any good either. All right. Um, you've also seen a, a increasing grasshopper population in, in that country. Um, tell us about that. I haven't been uh, closely involved in that. I do have some neighbors to the north of me that are dealing with it. And this is the uh, the last round we went through with the severe dry. They wrestled with it then too, and so there's there's a lot of work going on. It said uh, uh, the people I'm talking to, the the most part, what they 
what forage they did have on the ground, the, the grasshoppers took it or, or ruined it. So it's a, it's a major problem. And, uh, you know, just added one more brick to the load. I'm going to switch gears here for a second and ask Larry and Jason a question uh, about these cows that are coming to town. Uh, Larry, we talked about this a little bit before the uh, webinar started, but uh, where the, tell us where the cows are going, that the, the utility and slaughter cows, and, and tell us about uh, what prices you're seeing right now for them. Well, right now uh, they're going to the, the regular slaughter cow channels uh, for our state right here. That would mean uh, they go to Minnesota. Uh, some Sometimes they might go to uh, Nebraska. Some of them will even go as far as Texas. Uh, early on, we had a lot of demand for cow-calf pairs from states like Iowa and Kansas. Uh, but, uh, you know, and if we had more, I think we'd still see that demand. But most everything is a slaughter cow or a bull today. Lots and lots and lots of bulls coming to town. And uh, they're going to the traditional markets, like I say, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and as far as Texas. So early on, you were seeing some cows go back to the country. And now that's stopped. Is that right? That has, because as we talked earlier, the cows and calves are being split. There's yep. just uh, too much money involved. Uh, we want to get all that we can for that producer. So right now, that means to split those up and sell the calves and the cows separate. Jason? Yeah, real similar. We have this uh, CS beef pack uh, in Cuna, Idaho, where uh, a lot of our cows are going there. Uh, Cargill and Fresno. California, the cows get a ride down there, but but they're all they're all terminal wherever they're going. Uh, one thing I would say, as John was speaking, I, we've had a real uptick in the number of replacement heifers the last couple months that we're selling. Guys, we're going to hang on to these heifers and breed them, and they just there's no forage left for them, so they're they're diving into these heifers and selling them, and and. The, those calves are going on to feed, but they're not going to go back into our cow herd. And so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts us uh, over the next year, couple years. Jason, how's the price for utility cows? Uh, cow market's been strong. Uh, we, I think we sold up to an $86 cow here a couple weeks ago. It has softened just a little bit. Uh, the bulk of them yesterday were kind of... Uh, I would say uh, 65 to 70. Uh, the good cows, we do have a few kick up there to 75, 76. But, uh, and, and all things considered, that's a pretty good price. And, and so you're going to see until it drops off significantly, they're just going to keep coming. Uh, I think we had 550 cows last week and 380 or something this week. And it, uh, I think that's a, that's a trend that's going to continue over the next uh month or so, six weeks. Thanks again to the folks at Farm Journal for allowing us to share this information with our listeners. It's definitely some interesting things and we're talking about the drought and of course how it's impacting cattle and especially how it's of course impacting our crops and, and feed and things of that nature. So I'm glad that we're able to kind of dissect that and see what might happen here in the future Delaney. But folks, if you want to hear any of our future episodes, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just make sure that you're also following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you never miss anything from the show. 
With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.